Welcome to Tea with the People, the podcast. This is a series of conversations with innovative leaders who participate in our democracy by responding to racial injustices and inequities in the time of COVID-19. I'm Justine Lee, the co-creator of Make America Dinner Again. And I'm Janelle Austin, the founder of Racial Agency Initiative. We engage leaders who work creatively to activate and support their communities. Through this podcast, we hope to inspire others to do the same. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Yahaira Saavedra, owner of La Marada, an undocumented family-owned and operated Oaxaca restaurant in the South Bronx. Their goal is to preserve and share indigenous Mexican cuisine with their neighbors and friends. They love sharing culture, art, and community initiatives while actively participating in social justice causes. In response to COVID-19, they created a soup kitchen in the South Bronx, serving an average of 1,200 meals a day, Monday through Saturday, since April 16th. The people they serve include folks without gas or a kitchen in their building, and people recently released from detention centers and Rikers Island Correctional Facility. Hi. Thanks yeah. for having me. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being here. So we're, we're going to get started um, with a simple question just to warm things up. I've n- never been to a restaurant, but I've heard amazing things. And in a lot of the re- reviews, I've heard that your guacamole is amazing and everyone's favorite. But I wanted to see or I wanted to know what your personal favorite dish on the menu is. Uh, that's a tough one. I will say my most favorite dish on the menu is mole oaxaqueño. I choose mole oaxaqueño because it's a traditional indigenous um, food. It's it's a thick sauce similar to a curry, and it takes a minimum of six hours to make. It has over like seven different um, dry chilies as well as other seasonings. Um, so I find this to be very, very important and my favorite because not only because of the flavor, but because of its uh, rich history. Um, I don't know the recipe for this mole. Um, Only my mom and my sister and my grandma does because only selected people are are chosen to actually receive the gift of the traditional gift of learning um, the traditional recipes. Um, So whenever I taste... Oaxaca mole, I taste uh, my my family's lineage. Oh wow, it sounds really amazing and that's beautiful. <laughs> it is really beautiful, and now I really wish I could try it. Um, is that something that is still available on takeout at the moment? Yes, we're well known for our mole, and we're always um, offering our traditional food. Uh, right now, we're we're just limiting ourselves to Uber Eats um, since our delivery and our staff is very limited. Um, since we're um, prioritizing our soup kitchen right now. Got it. Okay, yeah, speaking of you brought up the soup kitchen, I'm I'm curious to hear what inspired La Mirada's response to the pandemic. Um, our response was very natural. It just, it was rooted, rooted on our, our love and our responsibility towards our neighbors. Uh, we love our community and we always say that if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be open this long and we wouldn't we wouldn't be successful um, if we didn't have their their backup. It's our community, which includes undocumented folks, it includes um, working class folks, includes people with the same ideals and principles that have supported us when the government and other big 
corporations have gone against us. Um, so our soup kitchen just spur out of love and responsibility towards our neighborhood so we could together um, be able to survive this uh, um, pandemic. Mm. That That's beautiful. And it's always good to be able to have community and neighbors that have your back. Can you tell us more about this community? Just Can you describe them for our listeners so they can have an image in their minds of uh, the these people who have your back on a regular basis and now you're having their back during this time of COVID. Sure. So La Morada is um, part of the South Bronx community, to be more specific, the Mount Haven part of the South Bronx. Historically, we are, we have always been one of the poorest districts in the whole country. And in New York City, we rank right now 62, which is like the last in, in the health index of, of the city. And uh, we have also like one of the highest asthma rates in in the country. We are often just used by big folks, famous folks uh, repping the Bronx, but like everything seems to be just bypassed through the Bronx, um, including the food. There's a huge food apartheid in the Bronx where we have the biggest food depot on Hunts Point in the nation yet um, there's not there's like food scarcity and insecurity due to like the majority of that food just going to wealthier parts of the city like Mahan and other gentrified um, sections of the South Bronx because our neighbors our community has been historically marginalized and under-resourced we have often combined our resources and our privilege including our platform within the restaurant to make it into a community space and advocate for what is needed um, in the community. Um, Let it be just human rights, uh, fighting against gentrification, fighting against any incoming corporations that might increase the air pollution, fighting against food injustice, of course, always being in the front line of immigration. Uh, My family has my brother, to be more specific, has infiltrated three detention centers, has self-deported during the Obama era just to bring light on the mass deportation as well as the injustice, inhumane injustice treatment that undocumented folks were uh, receiving inside um, ICE detention centers. My community is always, I, I guess, underseen or politicians just like ignored us or just take advantage of us or just like uh, we always claim say that they're poverty pimping us uh wow like yeah right um we continue persisting we we continue yes persisting it's no longer resisting it's persisting because we're pushing back and um together as a force i'm in love with my community because i see um their solidarity every single day um last january i was arrested inside the restaurant because I was filming what I thought was an unjust arrest and without wait, any wait, you were you were arrested inside your restaurant? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like okay, so like, and then you said because you were filming an arrest that was happening outside of your restaurant. Yes. And I automatically started filming um the, the cops because it's my responsibility to always look out for my neighbors. Um it's part of my 
Christian beliefs to always look out for your neighbor um, and knowing like about broken windows. So, so I knew that we were constantly being racially targeted by the NYPD. So um, I started filming them and then the cops got upset and they put handcuffs off on me and threw me on an unmarked black van. And um, I'm saying all of this because um, the South Bronx community, if it wasn't for them, I could have easily gotten something in my record and that could have led to my deportation because I'm also without status. Um, so this is the community solidarity that um, the South Bronx um, constantly shows to La Morada, to myself and my family. Wow, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for your courage. I can hear the, the love and the care in your voice. And I, I'm just personally curious to hear if, if there's like one story that kind of stands out in your mind of someone that you've um, been able to serve during the pandemic. I think our actions speak for themselves. And our neighbors have been very supportive and sometimes we forget about ourselves. Um, there was this one neighbor who we just um, had a lot of bananas and they were getting overripe. And she was like, can I have those? And we just gave it to her, not expecting anything. And then the next morning, she just walks over with a warm loaf of banana bread. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, I love that. Banana That's bread. That's amazing. And yeah, that was the best thing ever. It, I, I wanted to cry because it was like, it was so delicious. It was full of love. And it was just like, it was self-care through. through yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or I like to call it community care when you get your community caring for you. Yeah. I'm curious, what challenges have you faced during the pandemic and how have you navigated them? Oh, wow. So... We've always, like I, I said, um, the South Bronx has always been marginalized, under-resourced, and just completely ignored um, by elected officials and folks that, are, that claim to be supportive of us and who are in power. So for the first month of the pandemic, we had to close the restaurant down due to health issues. My whole family was affected by um coronavirus, so we took a month off just to rest and re recuperate physically. And during this time, I started writing the grants. And, and of course, everybody who knows about grant writing or loan applications, they know how lengthy they could be. So I attempted to, to apply to all of them to the best of my abilities and with help of, of friends who are savvy around this. But even though I knew chances are I was going to get denied, a really close friend of, of ours um, told us that she is willing to do a GoFundMe, but I kept on rejecting that um, because I wanted to try. I wanted to try to work things out uh, for ourselves. There's some pride on that, <laughs> on always taking the heart out. I don't know why, but that's just the way that, that I was brought up. Mm -hmm. So we... Um, so I applied for the grant and I was, of course, denied because my whole family is undocumented. Um, after I was denied of, of multiple grants and loans, my friend decided to open up the GoFundMe and with a matter of a week, we met our $45,000. 
And instead of like taking that money and, and taking the year off, we decided to open um, La Morada with the GoFundMe um, campaign money. Um, and we, uh, within an hour, we ran out of food. Um, we served close to 200 people that day. The next day we did the same thing. And again, within, within an hour, we ran out of food. And we knew that we couldn't sustain ourselves without any additional support. And then uh, we were getting bothered by the NYPD because of the large, quote unquote, crowd in front of the, the restaurant. So um, we decided to do home delivery meals and to ask for help um, through uh, certain organizations that we thought were going to be more helpful. And some of our initial um, problems then was just the lack of, of resources, such as ingredients to cook, volunteers to work the soup line, and then enough space to actually like make sure that we had everything done in a in a safe manner. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I I really appreciate you um, sharing these stories and these sides of of working to support your community and um, that is not always easy. I think sometimes when people think that they're going to respond to the community needs that they see, some people think that it's, that it's simple and it's easy, but it's not always that way. So I, I thank you for sharing um, those experiences. So the, the work that I do, Yahara, on a day-to-day -day basis is, is racial justice. Uh, leadership coaching. And so I work with people who are constantly um, trying to figure out how do they leverage their agency to practice racial justice uh, within their scope of influence, like everyday life kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And from, from your story, I can tell that like that that's what you all are doing. It's like the, the way race intersects with your story is, is deep. Can you talk about more how you feel this soup kitchen addresses the challenges of race that you all see, whether in the U.S. or within your context in New York City? Do you have any thoughts on the intersection between this work that you're doing and the problem of race in the United States? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't... I don't understand people who claim to be colorblind, right, or to not see color. I think race is uh, very racism. Uh, it's it's very visible in every single um, day of our lives, um, especially because this country. We could talk about how it was founded on slavery and genocide, and as an indigenous woman, I'm constantly reminded that. I don't have the same privileges as a white cis male. So yes, I I, I do understand that um, how race is constantly a, a factor and um, the amount of resources that are neglected to us. Um, again, because we're located in the South Bronx, one of the poorest congressional districts in New York City and also in the nation and also um, with the highest population of uh, African-American and PLC in general and working class PLC people. So I feel really frustrated um, seeing how the resources right now with the COVID-19 response has been 
delegated, um, seeing how resources um, has been fluted to the wealthier parts of the Bronx and the wealthier parts of New York City. Um, by the wealthier parts of the Bronx, I mean like the gentrified areas compared to the poor sections of the Bronx. Before we opened our soup kitchen, World Central Kitchen had already established in the South Bronx for over a month. They decided to work with um, Beach Stroll, Mahaven Bar and Grill, and other mm -hmm. restaurants that are in the gentrifying section of the South Bronx. All of these restaurants are like less than a block away from each other. And these are restaurants that have been in existence for less years than La Morada. Most of these restaurants are notoriously known to receive money from developers. So they're, they're linked in so many ways to the gentrification force that has been displacing us and destroying the South Bronx prior to the coronavirus. So it was very alarming to see how World Central Kitchen, instead of choosing smaller restaurants through 138th Avenue, who have been longer for more years, moms and pop shops, than La Morada, um, they were just ignored. Um, La Morada mm. has always uh, been in the spotlight for many, like throughout the media. Like there is no way that folks could go through the South Bronx and not know about La Morada. I don't understand why is it that instead of having to work with somebody who has been already well established in the community, they chose to go with the developers and with restaurants that were in the gentrification um, area and with restaurants that were closely to corrupt the democratic machine of the Bronx <laughs> and chose to like work directly with Michael Blake and the Arroyos uh, with Mahaven Bar and Grill uh, rather than with people who have always put the community first. So that is one way that we could see how race plays a big part in the South Bronx. Um, it's not only race, but it is also socioeconomic difference where yes. uh, people with power, people with, uh, with wealth are always chosen over um, people who belong in the working class. Right. It, I mean, it's, it's so political, right? It's not, and, and, and I love how the, with the story that you painted, you painted this picture of how race um, becomes tied and marbled and twisted into the politics and the decisions that, um, that are being made. And um, it's not just, oh, I don't like you because of the color of your skin. It, it goes deeper than that and with the power structures and the policies that are made and the decisions that are made behind closed doors and when when restaurants like your own are overlooked and it don't make no sense like it's all a part of the systemic racism yes and who was it was uh i think it was malcolm x oh i would like to say it was malcolm x who said not all skin folks are kin folks come on um, now <laughs> hey <laughs> Uh, that could be heavily applied right now through gentrification. Uh, so it's not only about race, like I said, it's, it's also just a social economical um, standard and holding people accountable, including myself. That's the reason why I always try to be transparent and I have a deep connections with my neighbors, with my community, because I know that I'm also human and I will always need somebody to um, check in on me. Um, so at least 
when we talk about race and social economics, we also see how people work closely with our neighbors, with the people, the day-to-day folks. And if that's not happening, then there is a missing link and there is often a lot of corruption as we uh, experienced in the beginning of COVID-19. So it was a very uphill battle in which we had a fight to establish our soup kitchen, which mission was to just serve hungry people, people who didn't have, who don't have gas, um, who don't have kitchens, or who have live in faulty um, buildings like the projects and can't go down 20 flights of floors because they, the elevator is broken and therefore they're not going to do a line for food distribution and carry uh, up groceries 20 flights. So we started ranking up um, volunteers to help us deliver hot meals and make things a little bit easier. There's days where I just feel like it's always either a battle between hunger and the coronavirus or asthma. Like there's so many factors and I see a hot meal as another resource, another uh, another way that we could actually, uh, material that we could use to survive another day. And, and at least I have that clear conscience every day where I, I say like, hey, maybe the system didn't help us today like every other day. But at least um, I was able to feed um, this amount of, of, of folks. And it's sad because, like I was talking about um, Bistro and World Central Kitchen and Malhaven Bar and Grill, most of the folks that, that we started serving in our soup kitchen didn't even know that this was an existence. And this was like already a month into the coronavirus. So again, who, who were they serving? Was it the gentrified area? Was it the middle class, a wealthier part in the Bronx? <laughs> so it's sad. And like even seeing with race-wise um, how the South Bronx has also the highest death rate in the city. And again, it's mostly black and brown folks, working class folks. And we are not even given the title or the recognition as, what do you call it, um, essential workers? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of this has just made me think about, we're learning so much right now from this pandemic. And I think we're all hoping that what we've learned will actually make matter, you know, is, is something we can actually take and make change, make things better for, for working class folks, for people of color, for the community in South Bronx. So I'd love to know, like, as a result of operating the soup kitchen, what are you hoping changes about how people engage government in New York City? I mean, from what I'm, what I'm hearing, there's not a lot of trust in government. From this pandemic, people could see that it's not only a matter of Democratic or Republicans. We should hold our elected officials accountable. And our elected officials should be rolling their sleeve, not only during election year, but throughout the whole year as well. I feel that from this pandemic, we could allocate resources to the departments rather than um, cutting off 
resources, right, uh, on the budget cuts. We could talk about the budget cuts in education, the health system, and like, and how the NYPD has the least amount of cuts. So, like, we need to allocate resources better into into departments that are actually going to help our community and our city prosper rather than get persecuted. I think that's like the biggest lesson we we can learn from the pandemic. Thank you for sharing that. And listening to your story, Yahira, it sounds like you you get so much motivation from the people in your community. I mean, you've said over and over and over again, it's the community, it's the people that you're working for and who are working for you. Um, I think that's so beautiful. And so um, we want to create an opportunity as we wind down to hear from you in terms of what help do you need right now? And for the people who are listening to this podcast, how can they follow you and kind of keep track of y'all? The, the one caveat we say is that uh, we have to leave money off the table because everybody needs more money. So <laughs> outside of additional funding, what, what help do you need right now? And, and how can people follow you all and just kind of keep tabs on um, La Morada? Sure. So you can follow us through Instagram on La Morada NYC. We're also on Facebook and the World Wide Web and La Morada NYC.com. Uh, for personal help, uh, my brother's still fighting his deportation um, case. So if you can sign um, his petition for our family to stay together, uh, which is the link is in our Instagram bio, that will be much appreciated. Also, you can read our statement about what we believe being an ally should look like and what we expect from allies now and the COVID-19 epidemic. All of this can be found in our uh, statement as to why we broke off with World Central Kitchen. And that is also posted in our Instagram and website. Mm, thank you. Thanks, Sahara. Yeah, I was wondering also, this is the final question for the evening. Can you share with us a word of wisdom as a parting gift to our listeners? As, as a family, we have always moved forward through faith and prayer and through community. And I believe that there is strength and community and in mutual aid rather than in any larger corporation or about amount of money or powerful people. I think there's power within our community, uh, which we have to endorse and continue supporting in order for us to move forward together. Mm, I love that. Thank you, Yahira, for sharing those stories. Thank you for joining us today um, and for sharing all the, the insights into your community, into your work, and into your passion. Um, we really appreciate it. Appreciate um, giving me the time and the platform. Of course. This has been Tea with the People, the podcast.